do appreciate uh, the presence of each one today. We're glad that you're here. I know that we have some that are out of town. It's holiday weekend, I think Columbus Day, I think. Some of the schools are out tomorrow at least. Uh, and I know some are out of town. We've got uh, some that are ill or recovering from surgery who aren't with us today, who normally are. But we've got some that, that may, they're visiting with us and we're really glad that you're here and hope that we'll have an opportunity to speak to you a little bit and get to know you some before you have to leave. You might remember this particular slide from last week. Uh, Brother Dustin got us started a, a discussion of, uh, or a study of evangelism in the book of Acts. And uh, so we're going to preach a series of sermons on this particular topic. Dustin got us started last week. I'm going to uh, uh, preach an installment today and then got our gospel meeting next week and then we'll continue this through the month of October. And so I want to think about evangelism from the book of Acts. Of course, it's not just an academic study, is it? It's not just a historical study about these men who began to go out and preach in the name of Jesus and what they said and what happened, happened to them. It's really trying to get us to think about doing evangelism, reaching out to those who are lost, spreading the gospel of the kingdom to those who need to hear it. And so I hope you'll think with us as we uh, talk about this and think about this and think about what we might do uh, to, uh, uh, in our own circle of uh, acquaintances to teach the lost the gospel. The opening chapters of the Bible establish the condition of the world and the world as God created it was not in some ways the same as it is today. That's the same uh, physiological world. It's the same globe and things like that, but the condition of the world has changed. You might remember in Genesis chapter 1 and in verse 31, after the six days of creation, God saw what He had created and it was very good. It, it was one in which the man that He created and the woman that He created for the man had everything they needed. In fact, He placed them in what was called a garden, the, the Garden of Eden. And it was a beautiful place. It was a, a wonderful place, an ideal place for the man to live. You can see that in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8. We have a description of the Garden of Eden. Rivers flowed through it. Precious gems and metals were, they were found there. <clears throat> Things like gold and bdellium and onyx. The Bible says that every tree that was good for food and pleasant to the sight was there. And so it wasn't just a place where practically you had the things that you needed. It was a pleasant place to live. It was, it was good for, it was a delight to the eyes. It was pleasant to look at. And so had everything that man needed seems to be a peaceful place as well. But most of all, God and man were in fellowship together. And so that's the world as it was. But that changed and changed very rapidly when man chose to turn away from God and listen to the voice of God's adversary, the devil. From that point on, conditions declined. Eve sinned. Adam followed. Then Cain and Lamech, the sons of God, saw the daughters of men, desired them and took them. Finally, in the generation of Noah, every thought of the imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. Then after the flood, those who built the Tower of Babel. 
Of course, there was a righteous remnant. There's always a righteous remnant. But the great majority of people on earth separated themselves from God and rebelled against Him. Not just turned away from Him, but rebelled against Him, rejected Him. But even at that, God had a plan to remedy the situation and bring people back into fellowship with Him. And so people had made the choice to turn away from God, to reject Him, to rebel against Him. Yet God had a plan to bring them back, bring them back into fellowship with Himself. He tells us in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, that the seed of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham, would come, and in him all the nations or all the families of the earth would be blessed. Paul comments on this in Genesis, or rather Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, which is Christ. And so all the way back in Abraham, and really before, but with Abraham, we see the seed of Abraham, not plural seeds, but singular seed. The seed of Abraham would come, and through him all nations would be blessed. And Paul says the seed was Christ. So when the time was right, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, In the fullness of time, when the time was right, the Son of God, God the Son, took on human nature, came to earth, went to the cross to atone for sin, and provided a way for sinful men and women to be reconciled to God. And so now you've got a generation that was lost, a race that was lost, apart from God because of their sin. Now it's possible through Christ for them to be reconciled to God, and that fellowship with God could be restored. The plan of salvation, the plan that God has to save you and me and all people is a wonderful plan, isn't it? It's not the kind of plan that man would have thought of or a man would have developed. It's, it's really in some ways opposite to what men would have thought of. But it's a wonderful, wonderful plan. I like the expression in Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. It is good news of great joy to all the people. Good news of great joy to all the people. But how are people going to come to know it? And so God has acted through the seed of Abraham, through the seed of David, brought Christ into the world. Christ goes to the cross. He atones for sin and uh, provides that means by which we might have fellowship with God and be reconciled to Him. But how, how are people going to learn that? How are people going to come to know that saving message, the good news of great joy? Well, I suppose there are several possible answers to that. Each person could have their own burning bush experience. God could speak to every individual out of a bush or out of a tree and tell them what they need to do. God, I suppose God could have done that. Every person might have their own Damascus Road experience. As they're traveling along, a bright light shines down on them and, and the Lord appears to them. That, that's a possibility, I guess. God could speak to everyone in a dream or in a vision, but that's not the way God planned for the message of Christ, the good news of the gospel, to be spread and announced to the world. There's kind of a two-stage plan by which people would come to know what God had done. A record of God's saving acts, what God had done, what God has done for us, and what we need to do in response to that. 
a record of that would be revealed. And then that message would be taught by God's people to those who need to hear it. And so the record would be revealed. What God had done would be revealed. And then people would take that, preserve that record, and preach it and teach it to those who need to hear it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21 says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And so the world in its wisdom will never come to know God. Now, the world might be able to come to know some things about God, but in its own wisdom, outside the revelation of God, they'll never come to know God. No, God has revealed Himself to us and revealed His plan to us. And then He plans through the foolishness of preaching, of teaching. Focus especially in that passage on the message that's taught. People will come to know what God has done and what they need to do. The record has been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. It's been preserved for us in the Scriptures. And now the book of Acts gives us an account of the first efforts of men selected by Christ Himself to do the work of teaching the good news of the gospel of Christ to the lost. So let's go to the early chapters of the book of Acts and let's look at the beginning of this work of evangelism in the book of Acts. We can read the names of the men that were chosen here in the book of Acts, chapter 1 and verse 13. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Barabbas is, or Barsabbas is chosen uh, at the end of the chapter, of course, and then Saul joins their number as well a little bit later on. I want to think about these men, these group, uh, this small group of 12 men who began disseminating the message. They, they began teaching the message of the gospel, the God's plan of salvation. Well, look especially at some of their qualities. Now, we don't know a great deal about some of these men. We don't know much about Philip or Bartholomew or James the son of Alphaeus or Simon the Zealot. We know their names, but we really don't know very much more about them. We know a little bit more about some of the others. We know, for example, that most of them, if not all of them, were from Galilee. Uh, James and John were from a town near Capernaum. Philip, Andrew, Peter and were from Bethsaida. John chapter 1 verse 44 tells us, it seems that later Peter and Andrew have a home in Capernaum, Mark chapter 1, verse 21 and 29. But most of them are from Galilee, more of a rural area, a pastoral area. There are a few large cities in Galilee, but most people lived in, in small villages and, and smaller towns. They had the reputation of being unsophisticated country folk. You remember when Philip tells Nathaniel, We've come, we've, we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. Remember what Nathaniel's response was? <sighs> Nazareth, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? <laughs> and so Galilee has that sort of reputation, unsophisticated uh, country folk. These men that we've read about here, Peter, Andrew, James, John, the apostles, they were ordinary working class people. We know Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen. We know Matthew was a tax collector. 
I don't know that we know the occupation of any of the others, but probably the same kind of occupation. Maybe farmers or carpenters or builders. Maybe some of them work like Matthew did in, in an office. But they're just regular, everyday, ordinary people doing ordinary tasks in life. Only one of them, Saul, who became known as Paul, had any formal theological training. I'm not trying to say that they were not bright men and not intelligent men. I'm, I'm sure they're highly intelligent, but they're, they're just regular folk, really. They're just fishermen, uh, tax collectors, and so forth. We know a little bit about their personalities, I suppose. Peter could be a little impulsive, couldn't he? See that at the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. Peter sort of blurts out, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And, and God, in, in a, kind of a rebuke, speaks up and says, No, 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 this is my beloved son. You listen to him. And so we know Peter could be impulsive, and sometimes that works to his disadvantage, sometimes to advantage. To his advantage, we, we know who you are. You're, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so we, we know something about Peter's personality. We know something about the personality of Thomas as well. Thomas could be a little pessimistic. He could be a little bit skeptical, couldn't he? It was Thomas who said, I'm not going to believe until I see his hands and his side where the nails went in and where the spear went in. When Jesus says, Let's go to the home of Lazarus. In John chapter 11, Lazarus has died, and Jesus is going to go raise him from the dead. And, and, and Jesus says, well, let, let's go. Let's go to Bethany. That's near Jerusalem, by the way. Do you remember what Thomas says? John chapter 11 and verse 16. Therefore Thomas, who's called Didymus, said to the fellow disciples, let's go also that, that we might die with him. <laughs> you know? All right, let's go. We're all going to die. You know? Thomas could be a little pessimistic, it seems like. Peter could be a little impulsive. Later on, in, in Acts chapter 4, we find after Peter and John have been arrested, and uh, the, the authorities have some interaction with them. They, they've been teaching in the temple area. They're arrested and, 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 and taken into custody. Verse 13 says, now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. These are uneducated. These are Galileans. They're uneducated. They're unsophisticated. They're, they don't have any kind of formal training, and they're, they're amazed at what they were able to accomplish in spite of those things. Really what we have in the apostles is kind of a cross-section of the people of Galilee. They're just regular folk. They're just drawn from the population. Now, they have some outstanding qualities, but in many ways, they're, they're just regular, ordinary people. Now, what were those special qualities? Well, if you look at Acts chapter 4, we didn't read the last part of verse 13. They, they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Now, what's outstanding about these men? In lots of ways, they're very average. Now, here's something special about them. They've spent time with Jesus. Some of them from very early on in Jesus' ministry, Andrew, Simon, Philip, Nathaniel, who some people identify as Bartholomew in John chapter 1, verses 40 and following, they, they associate with Jesus. They begin to listen to Him and listen to Him teach and learn from Him. James and John leave 
their father in the boat. Mark chapter 1, verse 20, they leave their father in the boat to follow him. Peter and Andrew, they leave their, their, their nets to follow Jesus. And so here, here these people are from early on. They're beginning to associate with Jesus, and they're listening to him teach, and they're watching him, and they're spending time with him. When Jesus calls Matthew from the place of toll in Matthew chapter 9 and Mark chapter 2 verse 14, Matthew gets up and he follows Jesus. He, he leaves his occupation to follow Jesus. And so for about three years or certainly several months, these men are involved in intense training. They travel together with Jesus. They live with Jesus. Teaches, Jesus teaches them on occasion privately. Sometimes it just seems that Jesus is there with the twelve as they're passing through Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus says, who do men say that I am? Here's a private setting where Jesus is speaking with them and he's teaching them and he's drawing out uh, you know, what they're thinking and responding to that. John 13, 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is with His disciples in the upper room. Just He and they in a private session of teaching. On other occasions, they're in the crowd, spending time with Jesus, listening to Him, listening to what He teaches. He see, they see His miracles. They watch His confrontations with other people. They see His responses, how He behaves, how they behave in response to Him, and how He behaves in response. And on occasion, they ask Jesus questions. He said this, what did you mean by that? You know? Mark chapter 10, Jesus talks to them about marriage and divorce, and later when they're in the house, they ask Him some questions about that. And so here's a period of intense training. They're listening to Him. They're watching Him. They're evaluating Him and in His reaction to others. They see His miracles. They're learning from Him, and they come to the conclusion, this is the Christ, the Son of God. That's what Peter confesses, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16. Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? We know who you are. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14. They came to understand that He is the Savior of the world. 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, that's an outstanding feature of the apostles. They spent time with Jesus. Spent a lot of time with Jesus. They listened to Him. They heard Him. They absorbed. They took in what He taught and what they saw. They reached a conclusion about Him. This is the Christ, the Son of God. Another outstanding feature of theirs is they were committed to spreading the gospel. Go back to Acts chapter 4. Let's go down a little bit further. And uh, the authorities are uh, prohibiting, forbidding Peter and John from teaching in the name of Christ. You see that in verse 18. They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered and said to them, Whatever is right in the sight of God to give heed, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. We cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. That's, now that's an outstanding quality, isn't it? We cannot stop. Now you, you decide whether you've got to decide about it. But you can threaten us, you can put us in jail, you can forbid us, but we're not going to stop. We cannot stop but speak what we have seen and heard. 
Jesus had commissioned them to make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, verse 18. He said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all the nations. Luke 24 and verse 47. At the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus says, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the uttermost part of the earth. And that work began on Pentecost, where Peter stands up with the 11, verse 14, and they preached to the people, some of them from very distant places. But not long after that, at the, as a result of their influence, the gospel goes to Samaria, to Damascus, to Judea and Galilee, to Lydda, to Caesarea, to Antioch. With Paul, the gospel goes to Crete, Cilicia, Galatia, Asia, Macedonia, Greece, and back to Jerusalem. And they continue to preach for the rest of their lives. This is their second outstanding quality, committed to spreading the gospel of Christ, even when threatened. (laughs) Say, we can't stop. We don't have any plans to stop. We're not going to stop. And what message did they preach? Well, they were commissioned to preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew 16, verses 15 and 16. Luke 24 says that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in the name of Jesus. Repentance and remission of sins in the name of Jesus. And you know what? That's exactly what they did. Beginning on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene. A man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the determined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. After giving evidence of that, the people on Pentecost said, what do we need to do? What should we do? And they're told to repent and be baptized, every one of them, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. They taught the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. They taught the conditions of the gospel, faith and repentance and baptism, just as they were commissioned to go out and teach. In short, Acts 8, verse 35, they taught Jesus. You know what the result of their work was? Well, the way I've described it is worldwide evangelism. (laughs) Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. Colossians 1, 23. Going up a little bit, he talks about being presented before God, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If you indeed continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which was proclaimed in all, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven in which I, Paul, was made a minister. It's been preached in all creation under heaven. Worldwide. So as a result of these 12, just 12 men, you know, Jesus didn't commission a group of 10,000. 12. 12 men, you go out and you make disciples. And, and they do. On that first day, 3,000 commit. A little bit later, the number grows. And then after a while, they, they stop counting. It's just the number of disciples are growing exceedingly. Before long, you have thousands more and thousands more. 
And the gospel is going out further and further and further until throughout the whole empire, men and women have become Christians. It begins with just a small group of 12. How do they do do that? And people even today, millions today, influenced by what these 12 men, just 12 ordinary men. Remember, we said they were just ordinary average people in lots of ways. How did they do it? Well, it reminded me of this statement. You may have seen this before. Never underestimate the power of a small group of committed people to change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. How did they, a a small group, 12 ordinary people, fishermen, tax collectors, how did they do it? They're committed. They're committed. They're not going to be stopped. So they teach a few, then they teach a few, then they teach a few, and before you know it, worldwide evangelism. This quotation is attributed to Margaret Mead. Now, if you read about Margaret Mead, she, she would advocate a lot of things that we would strenuously reject and disagree with. But that's a pretty powerful quote, isn't it? I, I would like to, I'd like to uh, alter it just a little bit. You see, never underestimate the power of one committed person to change the life of another. Never underestimate the power of one committed person to change the life of someone else. Can we do what the apostles did? Can we do that? Well, maybe in some ways we can't. They were commissioned to go and make disciples of all nations. We're not commissioned in the same way to leave our homeland or leave our occupation and go out the way the apostles were sent out. I understand that there are differences differences in that way. They, they, they converted thousands across the whole Roman Empire. Well, we're not likely to have that effect. But if this quotation is even remotely accurate, then we must not underestimate our power to change the lives of someone in our circle of influence. I'm not asking us to go out into all the world. You stay at home. You go to your job. You go to your school. And you commit yourself to doing what they did, that is, preaching the gospel. And don't underestimate your power. Don't underestimate your ability to alter the life of one with the gospel of Christ. Are we expecting too much when we make exhortations like that? After all, we're just ordinary people from our time and place in the world. Among us, you can look around, we're teachers and nurses and truck drivers and office workers and IT guys. We're HVAC guys, engineers, welders, machinists. We're just regular folk, a cross-section of society. But you know what? That's exactly what the apostles were. Just a cross-section of society. What we need in order to be successful is the qualities that they possessed. We need to spend time with Jesus. For us, that means learning the Word of God. Not merely reading the Word, but learning the Word. Remembering with the intent, or reading with the intent to remember what we read. And so we need to be like the the Bereans who were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they searched the Scriptures daily. We, We need to search the Scriptures daily. How many of us do our daily Bible reading, but when we get through reading, 
We have no more understanding what we read than when, we've, when we started. I find myself in that group sometimes. I've got to read the same thing over and over again sometimes because my mind just wanders. What we want to do is read with the idea of retaining and remembering. The way I've heard somebody say it is, you know, we've learned a thing when we're able to recall it when we want it. That's a pretty good way of saying it. I want to learn the gospel well enough so that when I get into a conversation with somebody, I can, I can recall that, I can recall that passage, and I can lay it down before that individual when I want it. Okay? That, that's our goal. And we do that by spending time with Jesus. And we're not spending time with Jesus physically, literally, like they did, but we're learning, we're reading, we're absorbing we're growing in our knowledge and understanding. And if we want to be successful evangelists, as they were, we're going to have to spend some time with Jesus. And then the second quality we want to develop is this commitment to spreading the gospel of Christ. To anybody that will listen. In the New Testament, they taught Jew and Gentile, and men and women and people of high rank and people of low rank. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 17, Paul talked with everybody he met in the marketplace, whoever he met in the, just as a public crowd of people, and whoever came across that was willing to listen, he would spend time with them and teach him the gospel. They might be wealthy or poor or male or female or important or unimportant, free or slave. Anyone he happened to meet in the marketplace. That's what we need to do. Commit to spreading the gospel of Christ. So, what I'd like for us to do today is think of someone you know. I'm not asking you to go somewhere. Someone you know that you can talk to about the gospel and make a commitment to it. Well, here's a schoolmate of mine. I believe I could talk to him or her about the gospel. Or here's a co-worker. Or here's a neighbor. And you know what? Before the week is over, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring that, that up, and I'm going to try to initiate a conversation about the, about the gospel. And we'll see where that leads. Think of someone you know you can talk with. It might be a friend, it might be a family member, but someone you know, and make a commitment to do it. And when you do, teach Christ. You think, well, I can't, I can't teach what the apostles taught. They were inspired by God on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and, and they, they spoke as the Holy Spirit led them. That's not going to happen to me, but, you know, we can teach the very same message that they taught. You know, why we can teach the same message they taught? You see, a record of God's saving work has been made and preserved for us. And we can take that record, what they taught that day, and we can teach it to people today. It's not hard to do. Start a Bible reading at work at lunch. Hey, let's get together and read the Bible together some. Or in your home, get a group together at a coffee shop and invite others. Will you come to our group and study the Bible? We're just studying the Bible. Would you come and study with us? Well, the gospel has been preached all over the world for the last 2,000 years. It's changed the lives of million, millions. It all began with a small group of committed men. People not unlike you and me. And we can do that. We can teach to someone the gospel as well. 
if we will. That's, that's the rub, isn't it? If we will. If we have the will to do it. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this opportunity to come together, to look into your word, to draw from it things that challenge us, uh, that uh, will make us better servants in your kingdom. Father, help us to think very deeply and carefully about what we see in the pages of the scriptures about spreading the gospel to the lost. We're thankful, Father, that you've chosen men who are just regular people, uh, like, kind of like us, and yet you've worked through them to change the lives of others. And so, Father, we pray that you'll use us, that we'll encounter good soil, and that we'll be ready to sow that seed into that soil so that it'll bear fruit. Help us, Father, to be committed to this. Help us to think about in specific individuals that we might be able to reach with the gospel. And Father, help us to make those first initial steps to sow that seed into their hearts. We're thankful, Father, for the gospel plan of salvation. It is good news of great joy. It's been, it is a blessing for us, an incalcul incalculable, immeasurable blessing for us to be partakers of it. And help us, Father, to share it with others. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. If